We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on? This is a sports card grinder show. I'm Dean. I'll be hosting this shindig. Going to introduce my uh, comrades in just a second. What are we talking about today? We're going to be talking about uh, the Tops Project 2020 cards, uh, PSA 9s versus PSA 10s, uh, the Market Movers Tool. We're going to be talking about that as well. Of course, if you guys are not aware of sportscardinvestor.com, we talk about Market Mover Tool all the time. It's being used over there. Uh, use the promo code GRINDERS to get 20% off your first month to check that out. Uh, we're going to dig into basketball cards as well as, as well as uh, some NFL cards uh, soon enough. With that, let's uh, let's talk to my colleagues batting first, leading off. Uh, it's going to be Mike Summer returning. No, not a returning champion. You weren't here last week, but two weeks ago. Mike Summer, of course, from WaxPackHero.com. What's going on, Mike? Hey, how's it going? Glad to be back. Happy to have you. And you're going to be talking to us about well, a variety of things, but uh, I teased it already. The Tops Project 2020, we're going to be focusing on that soon enough. Yeah, Project 2020 is one of those things that has, has really taken the hobby by storm over the last few weeks. And it's had some highs and it's had some lows, um, but it's been a, an interesting case study when it comes to checking out a new direct-to-consumer product from Tops and trying to figure out where in the world these prices are going to go. Bringing uh, Josh Wasaki, an RG contributor here. What, what is your article you're working on now? I know you're working on a series of some sort as far as the uh, Prism rookies, uh, which rookies the target in each specific class. Is that what we're talking about? Yep. Hey, Dean. Glad to be back. Um, yeah, we're going to start uh, highlighting Prism. 2012 was the first year of Prism, so it's a pretty uh, unique set. Um, and uh, we're just going to... Uh, talk about a bunch of guys uh, rookie cards from that year and also some some base cards uh, as well Brennan Ruby another RG contributor what's up Brennan how we doing doing good doing good glad to be back uh Simon you want to talk about we're going to talk about uh, you know we're going to feature your article get those clicks uh targeting PSA grading nine versus ten give a little tease uh, Simon what are we going to talk about soon enough yeah, just looking at the uh, the price trends and how uh, the price action on PSA 9s tends to follow uh, PSA 10s and how sometimes the 10s can take off a little bit early and leave the 9s behind, leaving a good buying opportunity to take advantage of that lag. 
All right, let's bring you back, Mike, because we were talking about this pre-show, and it's really fascinating. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a current day collector. I collected back in the day. I'm just kind of like you know, getting my uh, you know, dipping my toes in and sort of figuring out what's going on in the industry in 2020. And this whole uh, Tops Project 2020 is uh, pretty wild. It's a concept that's new to me. Explain it for those that are not, that are not aware. Yeah, sure. So at the beginning of 2020, Tops announced this new initiative that was going to pretty much span the entire year of 2020. Hence the name Project 2020. And what they essentially laid out for everybody was that they are going to be partnering with 20 kind of iconic, current, culturally relevant artists to reimagine or reinterpret 20 iconic rookie cards throughout Tops's history. And so they laid out the 20 different players who, whose rookie cards were chosen. And over the course of the year, two cards each day, there is going to be a kind of artistic rendition of this rookie card that gets released to the public and is going to be available for sale for 48 hours only. And it will be printed to order. So as many cards get ordered in that 48-hour window, that's what Tops is going to print. And it started fairly early in the year. And it didn't have a whole lot of fanfare behind it. And so a lot of the initial cards, the first 40 or 50 cards, really had fairly limited print runs of maybe 1,000 to 2,000 cards for the most part. A few of them spiked up into the the mid-thousands or 10,000 or so. But it really had kind of a a slow growth to it. And, And what people started to notice is these cards started to close and those sales windows started to close, people were noticing that on the secondary market, a lot of these cards were instantly selling for 30, 40 or $50. And so people were saying, Hey, I can buy this card for 15 to $20 directly from tops. And a few weeks later, I'm able to double my money. And when you can get kind of a guaranteed double, like people were seeing early on, that starts to generate more and more interest. And so since then, we've seen print runs continue to grow as more and more people became aware of this up to the point where a couple of weeks ago, a King Griffey Jr. card sold over 99,000 copies. And so this has just provided a really interesting case study of rapidly escalating prices, rapidly escalating print runs along with that. And as those print runs escalated, the values then started to drop because so many of these cards were starting to be produced and it was still kind of a a fluid market of where things were going to go. And so that's kind of what we've seen up to this point. We're about a a quarter of the way through it at this point. Yeah. And I'm looking uh, on your website, waxpackhero.com. You know, it's interesting. And now this is based upon what Mike Trout is the most out there in print, which is not surprising at all. And Ichiro and George Brett there uh, near the bottom Simon, we're going to do a little bit of a screen share. Are we not, I believe, as far as Itro and the, the asking price? And basically, there's not many out there. Therefore, supply and demand, it's uh, costing more money for people. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot less of the Itro card that was printed, the first one. Uh, the artist was uh, Ben Baller on that one, I believe. And yep. uh, yeah, when it, uh, when it was first released, it, uh, it, it took a, a huge jump. It was up to close to... Uh, 5,000 at one point. And uh, as the, uh, as the hype kind of ran down on, uh, on these tops cards a little bit, it's, it's, it's settled so far around 1200 for the latest sale. But uh, you know, like that kind of demonstrates the, um, the demand that these cards had when they first came out and people were 
uh, we're starting to notice them. And, uh, you know, like a low print run like Ichiro had, I think it was like 1,300 or so uh, that were uh, that were printed of that specific card. Um, yeah, there's... You notice a... Oh, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, yeah, there was 1,334 of that very first Ichiro card. And yeah, what, what we saw was kind of... A, a super heated market rising you know people paid 15 to 20 dollars for this card when it first came out we saw a rapid rise in price and since then we've seen a rapid drop in price but we're still seeing you know just a few in a few months people still paid 15 dollars for this card direct from tops and it's still selling for you know 11 to 1200 dollars and so it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this stuff plays out over the next several months too. Yeah, what are we doing at the quarter poll? You're saying well, basically we have a hundred that are already out there, three hundred more that are going to be pumped out, uh, two per day, as you're saying, uh, Mike. So w- what do we do? What are we projecting going forward? So like people are aware what the intro card is doing, but of course that was because people weren't really aware that that was going down, that was happening, and they closed the window after 48 hours, so only so many were made. Uh, and they were they made so many of the Griffies of, of certain varieties that therefore supply and demand it's going to be going down. What is our strategy going forward? Yeah, I I think there's a there's a lot of it, it doesn't sound great, but I think there's a lot of wait and see still at this point. <laughs> the the first fifty cards before this really started to catch on are still selling pretty strongly. Um, the prices have of those have come down some too off of their peaks, but they're s- still selling pretty strongly. Now, these last 20 to 30 cards, as the popularity really started to pick up, they're at the point now where many of them are selling right around the break-even point. And so that doesn't give a whole lot of boost to the idea of these being guaranteed money or easy flips at this point. As that continues, I think we're starting to see some of the print runs trickle back down to the low five figures. We might even start to see some four-figure print runs again. And as that ebb and flow continues, we're going to see a, a, a variety of prices and it's going to be good to stay and, and try to track where things are going. The other unique aspect of this or the thing that adds a little bit of a twist is because of this, the popularity increase and because of some of the supply chain issues with due to COVID-19, there's a three to four week lag between when these cards stop being available for sale and when... Um, collectors can get them in their hands. And so we've got, you know, 20 to 30 cards that are floating Mm -hmm. out there in this space where they're no longer available for tops. Nobody has them in hand. People are still trying to sell them on eBay, but some people aren't real comfortable in buying them because they may or may not get them. And then other people, you know, there's a, like a more limited supply available because not everybody's willing to put theirs out for sale just because they've got an order placed doesn't necessarily mean they want to put them out on eBay yet. And so we've got early cards that are in hand with low print runs. We've got cards that have medium print runs that are now starting to hit collectors hands. And then we have all of these cards that were in the, the high print run category but nobody has them to sell yet because Tops hasn't shipped them yet. And so there's so many different dynamics at work. It's really hard to predict where it's going to go, but it makes a really interesting case study in supply and demand. Add on the fact that a lot of these artists have bigger followings than 
tops themselves or as big a following as many of the, um, the, the players that are featured on some of these cards. And you have a new market of collectors or a new market for these cards that are being introduced outside of the traditional sports card collector. It's really going to be, it's really hard to know where these are going to go, but it's a lot of fun to track and pay attention to at this point. I'm not very savvy in the art world. I'm looking at the list of artists. uh, And it's interesting because maybe it's a small sample size. Like Don C has only two cards out there. He's an artist Um, and 26,000 in print run. And there's somebody named Grotesque who has six, six six cards, but uh, an average print run of over 3,300. Uh, is that because Grotesque had their cards released early and Don C had his cards released late? Is that because Don C is more popular than Grotesque? I don't know. Do you know? Yeah, a, a little bit of, of both. Don C, um, his first card didn't come out till closer to the, the middle of the print run. Um, I don't know a lot of these artists either, but they've all got some pretty interesting um, you know, backgrounds. Some are tattoo artists, some are clothing designers, some are are pure artists, some draw like there's a there's a wide variety. I think Don C, I think he's like Kanye's best friend or something like that. Um, I don't know much about him. Um, one of those hip hop stars anyway. And so, yeah, there's just this wide variety of, of artists. You know, they're all they're comp- part of their compensation for the project is based on how many sell. And so a lot of them are promoting the products or promoting the cards on social media. They've been doing a lot of interviews in the sports card world. There was a ESPN article um, that was, that was run about the project. And so it's, it's starting to get attention outside of the traditional sports card realm. What will that do to the long-term popularity? That's part of what we'll see play out. If print runs continue to increase, that might not be good for the, new cards that come out, but it could add more value to these, you know, first 80 or 90 that had more moderate print runs. And especially those first 50 that had low print runs. There's just so many aspects to this set that are going to play out over the next six months that I'm going to enjoy kind of following along for sure. And they're really cool cards. I'm scrolling through for somebody nostalgic like me, for somebody used to collect years ago, you know, they're the, you know, reimagining the rookie cards of cards that I recognize like, Oh, that's kind of cool. That's a nice little twist they had uh, a question here. So I'm looking at the other, other players. We talk about intro, we talk about trout. And uh, is there, we got to find the guy that like, that's good enough that like his cards going to have value, but not too good. Like that a reason we want to pounce necessarily. But Mike, here, here's my theory. Remember this, this is totally different, obviously, but I'm just throwing it out there. Tell me I'm a, this is a terrible idea, but I thought of this off the dome. So McGuire's in here, right? You know, McGuire's in here, and the documentary's coming out from McGuire and Sosa very shortly around the corner yeah. uh, on ESPN. And, like, Jordan's in his own world, obviously. But I know when the Jordan documentary came out, his stuff spiked. Now, is this a good thought process to say? Because, obviously, Don Mattingly can't have a good week. Or, t- you know, Tony Gwynn, Jackie Robinson, Gooden, Henderson. These guys are all retired. They're not going to do anything in the field. Their stats are their stats. Their legacy is their legacy. But can a guy like McGuire get a bump? Can he get a bump from the documentary that's coming out shortly? Oh, I think that's definitely in the realm of possibility. And I think it could apply to these cards too. We've already seen a big spike in McGuire and Sosa values when it comes to their normal base cards and their normal rookie cards. Those were cards that you could you could get all day for 50 cents a piece uh, on a lot of online platforms. And they've gone up to three or four or $5 um, a card now 
and just due to the hype of this upcoming documentary. And so as once it's finally out, you could see people, I think, continuing to expand into that. That's, that's one of the, the most unique things or interesting things about a set like this with wide and varying print runs is that the cards that were least popular direct to consumer end up with some of the highest values. Dwight Gooden has some of the lowest print runs of, of any player, some of the lowest, yet his cards are, are super expensive, especially in that, that early, early range of those first Dwight Gooden cards that came out. And so it's kind of got that inverse relationship of popularity in the direct-to-consumer initial print run and the ultimate value that that card sees. Uh, Brennan or Josh, either of you have any experience with these cards or have any, anything to add as far as uh, the conversation here? Um, I haven't purchased any yet. I've looked at some of the Griffies um, because I was a big Griffy collector as a kid, um, but I haven't pulled the trigger yet. I, I probably will just to have for my personal collection. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I'll be looking to to flip any of the Griffies uh, especially the the one with nearly a hundred thousand uh, prints. Yeah. The, the number one uh, that came out fairly certain fairly early, the six card overall just has 2,500 in print. I believe that's an 89 tops card. You can confirm that Mike on my uh, first look. Yep. Uh, it's based, it's based on the 89 tops traded. Yes. There you go. Yeah. That, that, I was kind of looking at that look familiar. So uh, I'm getting a flashback on that. Uh, so obviously that's the one, I guess if you want a grippy card, Mike, right you're going to buy that one or that one's going to have more value as opposed to the ones that are coming out later and have more in production. Yeah. That, that first one, number six is, is probably in the three to $400 range right now um, compared to the one that sold 99,000. That's 15 or 16 bucks. Uh, yeah, there you go. I just pulled that one up as well too. Uh, Josh, uh, all these pictures are on your website, by the way, you, you guys can check this out. It's pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm having a little nostalgia moment over here. Don't mind me. Uh, on waxpackhero.com. Uh, Josh, what do you have that here as far as uh, the Tops Project 2020 set? Uh, you mean Simon? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I meant Brennan. I apologize. <laughs> We're uh, <old> too. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, so I, I think I think Mike and Josh are both right. Um, you know, if you're looking to invest, it's not all about print run. Uh, some cards have a low print run for a reason. Uh, they just, you know, don't have a great player on them, or maybe the art isn't as as, a, as appealing to others as, as other cards. Uh, but from my perspective, I think sometimes in this industry, we have to realize when we don't know where things are going to go. And so, you know, if you're like Josh and you want to invest in this into your PC, as a fan, as a collector of the industry, that's great. If you are looking to flip them, then I think you just have to, you know, you have to realize you don't know what you don't know. And this could go any direction. I, I would think that um, the best investment opportunities have, have passed us at the very beginning of this. That being said, I have heard some people say that if you're looking to make money on this long term, trying to put together a full set, either of a, a player, an artist, or the all 400 at a, an affordable price that could uh, garner, a, you know, a better return in the long run than these individual cards, especially the higher print runs. I just did a quick Google. Don C, as he's known professionally, came into the entertainment industry as an integral part of friend and uh, fellow Chicagoan Kanye West. So there you go. Uh, he's got a Kanye West tie-in. Uh, shall we move on, Simon? Let's talk about, uh, I know your article is focused on this. We're going to do a bit of a screen share as well. 
uh, talking about the concept of PSA 9s versus PSA 10s and the cost uh, of each. Go for it. Yeah, I wanted to uh, – last week I looked at BGS 9.5 uh, versus PSA uh, 10 prices. And <clears throat> we found that uh, you know there might be some opportunity um, with some of the crossover between BGS 9.5s that might be able to qualify as PSA 10s, depending on you know how high the subgrades were on those uh, BGS cards. Uh, this week, um, uh, one of the one of the DFS players, uh, Pigskin uh, Blanket, he's really a uh, really good DFS player. He also collects cards. Uh, he brought to my attention that with the PSA 9s, they tend to follow the price action of the PSA 10s. So when a PSA 10 uh, gets ahead of the PSA 9 and, and goes on a little you know, like price run where it, where it might increase uh, due to some hype or, or some event or catalyst happened, uh, the PSA 9 might be a little slow to follow that. So you have an opportunity to buy those PSA 9 cards uh, before they uh, they catch up to their normal uh, price discrepancy with the PSA 10. So and generally speaking, a, oh, oh, go ahead, Simon. Oh, I, I was going to say I have a uh, a few examples to show too. Um, the first one I wanted to look at uh, Michael Porter Jr. He's a popular name on the show. We've talked about him a few different times, and uh, you can see from his chart that uh, his his PSA nine um, is in a little bit of a different direction than the PSA 10. The PSA 10 has had a little bit of a spike recently where the PSA 9 has remained relatively flat. So I noticed there was about a 33%. Uh, uh, the PSA 9 was worth about 33% of the PSA 10, whereas on a normal day, it might be worth anywhere from like 36 to uh, 40%. So if you are able to get a PSA nine for significantly more than the, uh, or significantly less than the normal price gap there, uh, then you could uh, go with a quick flip. Yeah, I know this is a screen share, Simon, that people can see it out there on the old YouTube, but if you want to check out the article, it's in the article as well, uh, amongst the other names we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, Josh, is there a general, I want a rule of thumb. I guess there's not, because Simon's talking about, is there a general rule of thumb is like, okay, this PSA 10 costs this much, therefore the PSA 9 costs that much? Or is it depends upon the player, depends upon other factors? Um, it, it depends on other factors, really. Like this Porter Jr. Um, that Simon's showing, you know, it's kind of trending similar, and but the 9 is flattening out. Uh, some 9s compared to the 10s is just some of the nine lines are just a flat line. There's no increase at all. And that's based on, you know, hype, uh, current performance, things like that. Um, so it really depends on the player, the sport, um, in season, out of season. Um, and then you find the same thing. Yeah. I, I generally, um, you know, I generally see it in the three to four times range. So if you have a, you know, a $50 PS9, a lot of times you'll see the PSA 10 around 150, um, which if, if, you know, Simon's quoting 33%, that sounds about right. So that's what you see with the newer cards. Uh, with the older cards, they were actually harder to grade. So you don't have as many PSA 10s out there as you do PSA 9s. So I would say that it varies kind of by brand and by year. 
uh, for a brand like Impeccable or some of the other thick stock cards, the corners get beat up real easy. You're going to have a lot more nines than you do in a normal prism select optic. So it varies by set and by era of the card. I think for your standard modern prism select optics, you're usually looking at three times the value um, unless there's something crazy with the population, say a certain card for some reason is hard to grade and there's a lot more nines than tens. Then you might see the gap widen because the tens are much more rare than say for the Luca rookies that we've seen where there's, I think 80% are tens uh, of the PSA population. So it does vary. Um, but I think, you know, the more data we have to look at, like the market movers tool, the more we'll be able to come up with these benchmarks, which will be, I think, huge for investors going forward. Simon, you have a couple more guys you want to show off as far as the market movers. Who else do you have for us? Yeah, uh, we got Pascal Siakam, who kind of follows that trend that uh, that Josh was talking about. It's a small sample size on the PSA 9s, but you can see more of a flat line there uh, versus the PSA 10, which has a, you know, like has been has been rising uh, steadily recently. Uh, so there might be an opportunity in a PSA 9 there. It doesn't look like there's a ton of volume on it. Um, we also had, let's see. I know you have Luca uh, available and I believe Zion too. Yeah, if we look at uh, Luca's, let's see, give it a second for it to call up. You're looking uh, at the Luca Doncic uh, Prism Base PSA 9. Yeah, uh, Prism Base PSA 9 versus 10. Uh, you can notice that the uh, PSA 9 has actually gone down a little bit recently versus the PSA 10, which is on more of an upward swing. So you can see kind of a trend in opposite directions there. Uh, which might be worth taking advantage of. It gives you an opportunity to buy a, a Luca card cheap, uh, much cheaper than a PSA 10, but also cheap compared to the uh, the usual PSA 9 price uh, in comparison to that PSA 10. And uh, the last card, let's see. We should be a, a Zion, Zion Williamson on. Optic uh, Halo, I believe. Is it, is it Halo or Holo? Halo. Uh, hollow. 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 Yeah. I'm looking at my, uh, the way I spelled it out. I'm like, it's not hollow, is it? Yes, it is. Apparently it is. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, a, it's a hologram card. So uh, that's, uh, that's one of uh, Optic's uh, uh, features on, on some, of their, uh, some of their parallels there. But this one, uh, you know, Zion in general has been on a downward, uh, downward trend. Uh, but on this particular card, I noticed that the, uh, the PSA 10 is on a bit of an upward swing. It's only been one sale, so again, the, the volume is a little bit light, but you can see from the chart, like just the general trend, whereas the PSA 9 is is kind of heading down. So you might be able to catch a little bit of a, uh, uh, a larger-than-normal gap on that card on the PSA 9. Yeah, Mike, if you can share your thoughts on this as far as uh, PSA 10 versus PSA 9, uh, when is the PSA 9 cheap enough where you see a buying opportunity? Yeah, this is one of those topics that I just don't have a, a whole lot to say about. Um, graded cards are not something that I do a lot of, of personally. I don't typically buy and sell a lot of graded cards. My focus is more on the raw or ungraded cards. And so um, these guys really kind of are, are narrowing in on on those those price trends and those price discrepancies. I think that my biggest takeaway, whether it's graded cards or whether it's any cards, is when you see a, something that's very similar but you see a, a diverging trend that usually gives you an indication if it might be a good time to get in or get out. And you can apply that same logic like we're, we're seeing here with, with these graded nines and tens. Uh, Brennan or Josh, Simon, anybody else as far as some final words on the subject or shall we move on? Yeah. Um, Go ahead, Josh. 
um, just in terms of what PSA 10s versus what PSA 9s look like, in most cases, it's a very minuscule uh, imperfection of the card that causes it to be a 9. So in a lot of cases, the PSA 9 card in the in the slab itself looks perfect. So so a lot of collectors or investors are um, fine with, with buying the nine because it looks almost perfect. We've talked about this before, the concept of breaking open the slab and resubmitting it and hoping your nine gets upgraded to a 10. Uh, and if it all of a sudden does, or even a nine and a half, I suppose, uh, it becomes what, three, four X, depending on. Yeah. Uh, and is that something you've considered before? If you even look at a nine and say, well, that, I mean, to me, it looks like a 10. Or it could be a nine and a half. Maybe they were a little bit tough that day in the grade. Is that is that something you consider? Or am I just making this up or what? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on giving the card a good look over. But on some cards, it's probably worth a shot, at least trying it at least once, maybe twice. Maybe seven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you sample size, if you submit the same card over and over, hypothetically, yeah. would you always get the same grade? Probably yeah. not. You know, you get a, a consistency, but there are probably yeah. some outliers as well. Simon, you had another word in this. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say uh, you can find all sorts of articles like this on our sports card uh, section at rotogrinders.com. Uh, we're usually putting out a, a few articles a week. I think uh, I think Chief is going to be debuting an article this week too. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. So we got nice. uh, like Chief's been big on the uh, in the Discord uh, channel. He's been uh, on a uh, on a rampage with buying. Uh, buying undervalued cards on ebay so uh he's a great uh great resource for ideas if you're if you're looking for uh looking for cards you just go to the discord uh rg discord in the sports card channel yeah and the discord's not premium anybody can join it it's uh yeah yep. everyone's welcome uh all right you're, you're talking about articles that's a good segue here simon because josh uh, we, we teased it before uh your new article what are you focusing on yeah we're gonna start looking at uh rookie cards and base cards from prism sets and 2012 is pretty unique. It's the first year of prism. Uh, the 2011 year was the lockout year. So there were, uh, it wasn't a full season. It was also the first year that tops didn't have the NBA license. So it was Panini had the exclusive license for NBA cards. So there were actually no rookie cards produced for the 2011 class. So guys like, um, Kyrie, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi. yeah, um, Kemba Walker, Kyrie Irving, Clay Thompson, yeah, Kawhi Clay, Vukovic, yeah, who else? Um, yeah, those are the big names, Jimmy Butler. Part. So, so those guys didn't have a rookie card their rookie season and they just got bumped to 2012. So, 2012 has two really good classes of rookies, um, and it's also the first year of Prism. So a lot of collectors and investors are are drawn to it because it's, you know, the the flagship set for for Benini. It it kind of replaced Topps Chrome, which was the flagship set before before Benini started making cards. Um yeah, and uh so guys from 2011, Kyrie's kind of not the hottest seller. Um but I've seen Clay Thompson, his cards have shot up, even though he hasn't played in over a year. Uh, Kawhi's the big one from that class. Yeah. Uh, his silver sold for, I think, 9000 or 10000 or some, something crazy like that uh, because the silvers also that year were only 
released in hobby. So they're, they're not serial numbers so we don't know the print runs, but it's, it's very low. Um, and the only other parallels that year were green, uh, which was retail only. And then the gold number to 10. Uh, so that. Explain that, parallels to me. What is that? It's just a variation of the base card image. So there's the base card, which is not silver and just the base card. And then parallels can be different colors, different um, designs, either hologram, silver, um, checkerboard patterns, things like that. Um, is there one that's more ideal than the other? Silvers are the most popular, um, even in uh, today's set, even they're even more popular than some serial numbered sets that only have, you know, 50, a hundred produced of that particular parallel. Uh, silvers are still uh, very popular. Um, but you're talking about Kyrie yeah. and his, his cards taking a hit. I, here's my speculation. Again, I know nothing, <laughs> but my speculation <laughs> is people are t- uh, speculating that Durant's going to come back. And if Durant comes back maybe Kyrie comes back and maybe all of a sudden Brooklyn makes a run, but Durant already said he's not coming back, which tells me Kyrie's probably not coming back. Yeah, either. I, th- then- I think Kyrie, Kyrie also said he he wasn't uh, he wasn't coming back this year. So I always uh, assume it was, it was an all or nothing. There's no reason to bring back one. That doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, yeah. And you talk about uh, Kawhi is uh, you know obviously has got a chance at winning a title this year as well as Davis. And I suppose if you think the Lakers are going to win, you invest in Davis, and you think the Clippers are going to win, you invest in Kawhi. Is it that simple? Yeah, I mean. From this set, because it's the first year of Prism, most of these cards, even though they have spiked a lot, are probably still a good investment long-term. Um, just, again, because it's the first year, the the really good combined rookie class um, of so many of those all-stars or Hall of Famers, I don't see, unless there's like a total crash, like I don't see a lot of these cards just plummeting. Um, so even with the increase, I think, um, there's still, I would consider them a good investment. Most of them. Yeah. Brennan, uh, feel free to chime in as far as your thoughts in this conversation. And also, I believe you want to give a preview as far as, uh, you have a, a Luca market cap article coming up soon enough. I do. I do. As far as the, the first year prism, I, I do think it's a good investment, especially if you, you know, with it being, um, you know, with it being an older set. Uh, you know, I think you can kind of just wait out the ebbs and flows of the market on those cards, but target a couple that you like, write down the prices you're seeing them come in at. And if you can get them at a good price, um, they're really valuable. And not only the rookies, some of the superstars as well, I think those cards will have value. Your LeBrons, your Currys, you know, any of the, the superstars in the league in that year, even if they're not rookies, I think will be very valuable because of, like Josh said, that being the inaugural year of Prism, which is the um, you know, the benchmark, uh, the gold standard in the industry right now. So I, I do like that set. And I, I'm curious if that's going to, to flow over to other uh, benchmark sets. Um, you know, Optic came out a little bit later, I think like 2016. Uh, Select came out the same year as Prism. You've got all these ones coming up now that are new that people love, Mosaic, Revolution, um, you know, all these sorts of things. Are we going to see a similar trends? Uh, just like we talked about with the PSA 9 to PSA 10, Will Prism start a just a waterfall effect of other you know big sets, popular sets, seeing their first years raise in value? So it's something to look at. It might be the next wave. Is it today? Is it tomorrow? Is it guaranteed? No. Um, but you know these are the things you want to think about if you're trying to be ahead of um, you know the curve. I think right now the first year Prism is caught on and it's still a good investment. Uh, but if you want to be ahead of the curve next time, you know be thinking about 
how investors and collectors alike will be thinking uh, like this. In terms of the uh, market cap uh, article that I'm going to be doing with Luca, I just finished up pulling together the pop reports for Luca today, and they are uh, compared to LeBron, which is the article is going to be comparing LeBron's market cap to Luca's market cap. It is crazy how many more Lucas there are um, than there are LeBron's just because of the print runs of his cards, uh, specifically Optic and Prism. It'll be interesting to see if that uh, leads Luca to be closer to LeBron's market cap than we would think. Uh, that being said, you know, obviously you're talking thousands of cards, uh, thousands of dollars for some of LeBron's cards, um, unless it's a very rare parallel. Um, we're not quite there with Luca yet. So it might not be as close as we think, but I'm interested to see. Um, and I'm very interested to see what the number of parallels does to the market cap as well. If it's very top heavy towards the silvers and the rare parallels, or if it's more spread out with your bases and all, and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be really interesting. That'll be coming out this week. I just got to get the prices in now, um, which is a little bit tough to track down, but it'll be the first good comparison of new versus old to see, are we overvaluing the newer players or are, you know, potentially if they are too close, are we undervaluing LeBron? As crazy as that sounds, maybe we're not giving these greats enough love uh, in the industry. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. And you, any idea when that article is coming out? I know you're still working on it, obviously. The last one came out on uh, Friday and I was on, I was on a similar pace. So I'd say Thursday or Friday, that thing will be out Friday, probably to be safe. Anybody else have anything to say as far as this topic at hand or shall we pivot and talk about some, uh, some football? Three, two, um, one. Yeah. I would, I would just agree <laughs> like uh, with sets, uh, sets pulling along other sets. You see it with individual cards. Like people got priced out of LeBron's Topps Chrome rookie card. So what was his next card? You know, that's um, started to pull that price up, and and then so on, and went to Luca's rookie card. People got priced out, priced out of it. So they're going to his second year Prism card. You know, I I agree that the sets could do that as well um, over time. Uh, Mike, in general, NFL cards, uh, are they being neglected right now in favor of NBA? NBA, of course, coming up around uh, a little bit sooner, the, you know, the re-up of the, the season, closing it out as far as getting the tw- uh, champion soon enough. Uh, NBA, the NFL season, not too far along, obviously. Uh, would you say, Mike, is it a, a good opportunity in general to buy NFL cards? It's usually the, the best time to buy any sport is in the middle of their off season. You know, we've had a, a little bit of interest start to, to pick up with the draft, you know, not too long ago. But the offseason is the time to buy any sport. It, that's usually when the prices are, are at their, the, their bottom. And so, yeah, if, if you're a believer in NFL, if you're in, a believer in NFL cards, now's the time to start to pick up on some of those people that you might feel are, are undervalued or underappreciated or have that potential to break out. Brennan, you have the same general thought? Yeah, I have, the, I have the same general thought. Um, you know, as we've seen many times over, hype and buzz really drives, you know, the markets in the industry. And right now, a lot of us have been talking about basketball and, you know, even baseball with this Tops 2020 and whether or not there's going to be minor league baseball. All those sorts of things have been in the news. We haven't got a lot of real meaningful NFL news yet. And as that picks up outside of the draft, which we just had and Mike talked about, I think you're going to start to see the most desired players kind of hit the same trajectory as we've seen in the NBA. Now it is worth noting that 
in the current state of the, the sports card market, basketball is king. So we're not going to see nearly the amount of buzz that we have with basketball. It's just the way things are right now. And I think part of it, and Simon and I have talked about this in the past, part of it is, you know, in the football industry, uh, the football market, you're really looking for quarterbacks and everyone else takes a back seat. In basketball, you could be looking for any sort, any number of guys, whether it be rookies or veterans. So I think you're going to start to see buzz for the NFL, and you're really going to want to go after those quarterbacks and the key uh, position players that will garner the most interest. So the pool of players of interest in football is almost like just so small. Like you don't want every quarterback necessarily, but in you add some of the high skill players, we're talking about maybe 40 guys. Is that your suggestion? Like maybe there's just not enough players to talk about. Therefore, that's why. And I'm surprised to hear NBA is king over NFL. That surprised me a little bit. Yeah, no, and it's it's more of a, a the number of desired players as a percent as a percentage of the total pool. There's you know so many guys on a football field that can have their card in a pack um, versus the guys that you want, which are, are you know the great running backs, wide receivers, and then um, either promising quarterbacks or the the successful ones. So. You know, when you think of the NBA and all the guys that can come out of those packs that have demand versus if I get an entire pack, I could have a really great defensive player, high, nice silver parallel. It's not going to sell anywhere near what you would see in basketball for a player um, just as good at what they do. So defensive guys in the NFL really get hurt. And then, you know, unless you're scoring a bunch of touchdowns, it's, it's very hard to get a lot of traction. Simon, jump in here. Yeah, I mean, if you look at that market and you look at the popularity of quarterbacks versus those other positions, um, and you think that the sports card market is con- going to continue to just uh, just go up, I think at some point there has to be a demand for those other positional players, like wide receivers especially, uh, with their um, you know superstar uh, superstar appeal. So I think if you wanted to try to capitalize on that sort of discrepancy between uh, quarterbacks and the skill position players, I think wide receivers would be pretty good to target. If you got an idea of a wide receiver that has a good chemistry with a quarterback that's undervalued or a second year wide receiver, I've been targeting Deontay Johnson a lot, um, trying to get his autographed cards. You can get them under 20 bucks. Like I've gotten a few of the uh, contenders optic uh, autograph Deontay cards for like 10 to $12 range. And then I just bought one, I think an immaculate, uh, collection card for, for under 20 bucks. So you can get some, uh, really good cards for, for cheap. If you target those other, uh, skill position players, and then you're just hoping basically that the demand, uh, picks up so much for football cards or sports cards in general, that it rises all ships. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, Mike, I'm told that uh, Dak Prescott is getting cheap. Uh, is he a buy for you right now? I I am not buying any Dak right oh. now. Um, okay. I don't – I don't – kind of like what we were talking about earlier, quarterbacks, we've got a couple decades worth of data that says quarterbacks are the primary source of long-term value and appreciation when it comes to football cards – the position players have some some hit or miss, short windows of of opportunity maybe along the way. Outside of a few iconic legends like Walter Payton, um, those position players just don't carry the value long term. And and because of that, 
you know, I've had a hard time finding a lot of quarterbacks even that I think are, are good buys or that I want to invest in long-term. And so I sit on the sidelines quite a bit when it comes to, to football. And so, yeah, no, I, I'm not buying any Dak at this point. Somebody's buying Dak here, right? Who's on, who's in on Dak? <laughs> I'm in on Go Dak. Ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I got a, uh, Devin, if you can call up the, uh, the chart, um, I'm looking at a chart here of this pink line is Kyler Murray's raw uh, 2019 uh, Prism Silver card. And this black line is Dak Prescott's uh, PSA 10 2016 uh, Prism rookie card. Uh, They didn't have silver that year, I don't believe. I I believe uh, silver was the base or the base is the base. But um, Dak's rookie card is going a PSA 10 Dak rookie is going for around the same price right now as a Kyler Murray uh, raw uh, silver card. So I, I, to me, that screams value on Dak Prescott. Uh, I'm trying to, uh, to buy that card under 350 for the, uh, for the PSA 10 Dak Prescott prism card. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all over it. I, I hope, uh, you know, like I'm able to uh, to pick up, you know, like a few a few of those. But uh, the you can also see the Lamar Jackson uh, optic uh, hologram card is uh, you know significantly higher than those cards. Uh, Lamar Jackson had obviously a, a huge season last year. I think Dak is in line for a huge season this year. Um, I'm not sure what the population counts are of that optic uh, hologram card. For Lamar versus the uh, the Dak uh, Prism card, but you know, like if they're if they're anywhere in the same range, and and uh, Dak has a huge breakout season, I think there's a lot of potential for that card. Brennan, jump in here and feel free to add uh, Mahomes into the conversation. Is Dak <laughs> even going to be the quarterback in Dallas? Oh come on, that's <laughs> stop it. You think Andy Dalton, Red Rocket, Red Rocket? Yeah, he's one of those. Uh, yeah, so uh, Mahomes obviously is kind of solidified fight himself and his career I think it would take a, a monumental shift in, in in the current right now for him not to end up as uh, you know a very successful possibly one of the most successful quarterbacks of all time he's still very young you know but you know with the way his trajectory is going I think you look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes and you really just have to find him at good prices but I don't think you're going to see huge dips either so if, if you're a fan of him and you want to invest long term you know, he's already had his breakout. He's already got the Super Bowl. So um, I still think, you know, that he is a, a good value. But as, as Simon was talking about, you look at a guy like Dak, whose team is, I think, tied for sixth in Super Bowl odds this year. Uh, and to compare him to Kyler Murray, it's not even close. I think Dallas's chances of winning the Super Bowl, uh, according to Vegas odds, is 12 to 1 versus Arizona, which is 60 to 1. So, you know, you've got a guy in Dak who's been around in the league. He got a new weapon this offseason. He's got a great running game. Um, You know, he could have a lot of success this year. And uh, one thing that Simon touched on, which was very important, is population counts. His population counts uh, versus some of these other guys is, is much, much lower. And so if you see his demand prop up this year, like we think might happen, um, his prices are going to go up quicker because there's less supply. It's a supply and demand thing. His demand goes up. The supply is so small that his prices are going to go up a little bit quicker. So I also am in on Dak. Um, I've got a couple shares. Maybe I'll pick up some more. Um, you know, if I, I find some deals I like. Um, but 
you know, I, I think the key here is, and I actually wrote an article about uh, comparing Dak and Deshaun Watson and their market caps, which you can find on Rotor Grinders. Um, and he's selling at quite a bit of a discount to Deshaun Watson, who is uh, had very actually had a higher population count, and to this point in his career, have been pretty similar. Now, Deshaun Watson might be a little bit flashier, but you know, comparatively speaking, he was much cheaper than Deshaun Watson. You would mm-hmm. think those two would be similarly valued, especially with Dallas expected to be uh, a little bit more, you know, successful than Houston this year. So I I love Dak as well. Um, Mahomes is is not a cheap card. So if you're looking to get in at a cheap price, you might want to buy nice looking Raws and try to get them graded or even go to the PSA 9 and not the PSA 10. As we've said, sometimes you can't tell the difference. So uh, Mahomes is a great investment right now. Dak is a little bit riskier, but probably has more upside in the short term. And, you know, I think now's when you got to start thinking NFL, because once we start talking about uh, the season coming near us, the the buzz is going to go through the roof. Uh, I'm just curious, Mike, I want to walk it back just for a second. I don't know, but all this Dak shade, are you an Eagles fan or a Giants fan? I think it's one of the two. (laughs) No, I'm a Bears fan. Oh, well, you just, okay, you're just, you get Trubisky is better than Dak. (laughs) You're just bitter you have Trubisky, let's be honest. No, I I would have much much preferred that we chose uh, um, Watson or Mahomes. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, Josh, your word in, uh, as far as these uh, these quarterbacks. We have a whole other collection we're going to talk about in a second. But uh, Josh, you want to jump in here as far as Murray, um, Jax, Mahomes, Dak? Yeah, I mean, the NBA cards are really my thing. I am a Cowboys fan though, okay. um, so I, I like Dak as a player. I hope they get everything sorted out with his contract. And, you know, he plays for the Cowboys. If he leads the Cowboys to a Super Bowl, that's going to skyrocket his prices. Are they still America's team, Dallas? I know they brand no. themselves as that, but yeah. <laughs> I consider they're still America's team. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. Uh, three more quarterbacks went out of the conversation. Simon, you're going to open it up as far as Daniel Jones, uh, the two New York quarterbacks, the Darnold as well, and then Josh Allen. Well, I guess three New York quarterbacks are all in New York. And not the city necessarily. Uh, talk to me about those guys there, uh, Simon. Um, well, I think they're all on a similar on a similar level as far as their uh, their their talent and their you know like their situations are a little bit different. Uh, Josh Allen obviously got uh, Stefan Diggs uh, this year. Sam Darnold, uh, what was it, Mims that he that they picked up in the draft. Um, and, and they picked up uh, another one of the old uh, Redskins receivers, uh, Dotson. So he doesn't have a ton of weapons versus uh, Josh Allen. And Daniel Jones, you know, he's in a, uh, a you know, pretty good situation with uh, good offensive weapons around him. I'm not too sure what the, uh, the O-line is like, uh, like this year. But Daniel Jones, I would imagine, is going to be in a lot of, uh, a lot of shootouts. Um, so... You know, uh, you have opportunities in all those players. I would think that, let's see, let me see if I can call up my chart here. Um, I got a uh, comparison on uh, Josh Allen's uh, 2018 Silver Raw versus Daniel Jones' uh, 2019 uh, Silver Raw cards. Uh, as you can see, there's not a ton of volume on uh, on Josh Allen, but the trend has been up the last few sales versus uh, Daniel Jones, who's been more flat to down. So it might be worth looking into uh, to Daniel Jones if you're a believer in him. If you believe, 
you know, he can succeed in a big market, have a, have a decent year and, and get a lot of buzz this season. Josh Allen probably has the uh, higher likelihood of, of making a playoff run. And then uh, Sam Darnold is, is kind of the, um, kind of the odd man out, but he's also in a, a big market. And if for whatever reason, the jets outperform this season, uh, he could end up being a pretty pretty good buy. He didn't even show up when I was uh, when I was doing these charts. I think his price is uh, is is pretty low. He might be a guy that you're wanting to uh, to target in bulk on Com C or something, so you don't have to pay all those eBay shipping costs. But if you can uh, if you can start accumulating uh, Sam Darnold uh, rookie cards, it might be a good year to do it. All right, Brennan, rank him for me. Your uh, your interest: Jones, Allen, Darnold. So I would I would probably put them. Uh, Josh Allen, Daniel Jones, uh, and then Darnold. The the one thing that might be working against Josh Allen is if their defense in Buffalo is very good, how much are they going to need him to throw? So in that case, Daniel Jones, if he's always playing from behind, like Simon said, and is in shootouts, his team might not have as much success, but his stats might be much more inflated than Josh Allen's. So if you're someone who values just the stats and don't really care about playoff runs in a Super Bowl, and you're looking to trade midseason during a hot streak, Daniel Jones might be the play because he will most likely be behind more so than Allen. Um, but then Allen got Diggs, who's, in my opinion, one of the best wide receivers in the league. Uh, and so, you know, we saw what he did in, in Minnesota. You know, if he does something similar in Buffalo, you know, certainly the main beneficiary there is going to be Josh Allen. Um, so I'd probably rank them Allen, Jones, and then Darnold a distant third. Uh, but like I said, if if the Giants find themselves behind a lot, he could have a ton of of stats. Even if they're a little bit empty at the end of games, um, Daniel Jones could have a pretty big statistics year. Simon, having some fun with our show sheet talking about Vegas Dave buying, uh, allegedly, and we can't wait, assume that this is true. Uh, Simon, he's saying he wants to buy $500,000 worth of Derek Carr cards, which my response was, my first response was like, Vegas Dave deals with cards. And <laughs> and then I realized, oh, in the comment section last week, somebody was telling us in the comment section last week, apparently he was the guy that bought the, uh, the trout cart we were talking about that flipped uh, for a 400K for 900K. So good for him. About time he caught a break. Uh, <laughs> second, My second response was, if all the Derek Carr cards in the world were accumulated, do they value, Mike, do they value in total $500,000? Is that possible? I was wondering that same thing (laughs) with with, it's maybe with all of the one of ones and everything added in there together that that might be possible. But yeah, that's a stretch. He might have a monopoly. You're saying we have to doubt the credibility of the great Vegas Dave. Is that you're suggesting? Yes. (laughs) So is anybody buying Derek Carr, 29 year old Derek Carr? I guess he's going to be Vegas now. I guess that's sexier. I suppose if they're good, um, Anybody care? We're just we're just talking about Vegas Dave, just because. If, if yeah, I mean, if he can pull 10x like uh, Vegas Dave is projecting, then, uh, <laughs> then it, yeah, it would be a good buy. But uh, Brennan and I were talking, you know, before the show. He's he's like uh, pushing 30, I guess. And, uh You know, his his, his chances of uh, even getting into the playoffs are slim to none anytime soon. Um, if he did happen to. Uh, get lucky with a, with a good season with the Raiders and they were actually able to, uh, to get pretty far then, you know, who knows, but uh, I, I wouldn't be, you know, like uh, spending my money on, on that risk. I'd rather buy my, uh, my Philip Walker cards than, oh boy. <laughs> than Derek Carr right now. 
you think Philip Walker's got a better chance of uh, doing some things? Well, I guess I'm sure he's a lot cheaper, I would assume. Significant. Well, actually, uh, yeah, I'd say they're probably uh, – Derek Carr is probably a little more than uh, Philip Walker at this point, although there's only one Philip Walker uh, rookie card that I've been able to find, so – it's it's a it's a pretty pretty scarce uh, scarce find to find those uh, uh, Philip Walker rookie cards. Anybody have any final? The thing oh, about the thing about that is right. The thing that we we can't forget as as we're making fun of this is that the downside is super low. Like right. they're not going to go any lower. I mean, you can buy Derek Carr's rookie cards from a quarter to fifty cents a piece, right? A, a raw Derek Carr rookie card. So. If he does catch fire, your quarter might turn into a dollar or two dollars, right? Not huge money, but on a relative return perspective, it's not that bad. But even if he tanks out and gets replaced midseason, it's not going to go that much lower than a quarter, right? And so there is a a limited downside risk there to take a flyer on somebody um, like that almost for fun. You know, you're not going to sink hundreds and hundreds of dollars, but well, $500,000 or $500,000 <laughs> <Somebody> might. <laughs> one person. <laughs> but every once in a while, there'll be somebody like that, that I have a hunch on that. I might go and spend 10 or $15 buying up a bunch of rookie cards for a quarter just to see what happens. Who are those guys? Do you have anybody you can kind of think of you've done that with? And what, what, what sort of success have you seen? I don't have any off the top of my head. You know, there's a few um, during the baseball season, there, there'll be a few Cubs prospects or Cardinals prospects that will start to heat up a little bit. And knowing that I've got access to people in central Illinois here who are Cubs and Cardinal fans, as they start to rise, I'll go buy up a bunch of their base rookie cards for a quarter on ComC or sport lots, and then be able to sell them for a dollar or a dollar 50 locally um, in, in person and, and make a quick, 30 40 50 bucks something like that and so i've done that a few times i i can't remember any of the specific names but it seems like pretty much every season there's a couple of those guys that you can jump on i appreciate that you uh you know as a bears fan you weren't thrilled about dak necessarily but uh, i I presume you're a cubs fan and you're open to uh to some cardinals so i'm open to anybody i can make money on Fair enough. i will i will say a caveat to what uh, mike just said about buying those super cheap uh, Derek Carr cards. Uh, in this uh, video still that we have, Vegas Dave is holding up a National Treasures <laughs> NFL uh, NFL Shield autographed uh, PSA 10 card. So that's, uh, that's a little bit on the pricier end of the Derek Carr spectrum. Well, if we have another toilet paper shortage, I mean, Vegas Dave, you know, worst case scenario. <laughs> we know where to go. He'll be, waking, he'll be well taken care of. Uh, let's show some cards off. What is, what do they call this in the industry? Uh, uh, getting mail. Is that sound of it right? Uh, Simon, you're explaining explain this concept day. to me before mail the show. Days. Yep. Mail days. What do you got to show me? Uh, my first one is a, now this is something that, uh, that, that chief, uh, got me excited about. And, uh, there was another, uh, member of our discord channel and we were just like, uh, talking about uh, Cam Newton, I ended up buying a, a 2011 Topps Chrome uh, Rookie Refractor exclusive uh, Cam Newton. Uh, it's it's actually the elusive PGA 10 card on that but one. Chief, a but, Carolina uh, fan, just so you know, understand who's telling you about the <laughs> Cam. <laughs> yep, yep. So you know, we bought it for like uh, twenty to twenty five dollars. So there's very low 
uh, low risk there, like uh, with Vegas Dave's uh, Derek Carr cards. Um, so I think with the, you know, like what, what Cam's done throughout his career and the potential of him to, uh, to, to land, uh, land with a team, hopefully as a starter, uh, that might, uh, might lead to some, uh, some, some price movement in his cards. All right, Simon, you and set the, the bar. Uh, who, who can raise it? All right, here you go. <laughs> Stick with me on this. Here's my mail day. It is one of the Mike Trout Project 2020 cards. And this this is how it made its way back. So oh. I had a customer buy five of these, and I shipped them to him in California. And in route, the mail truck caught on fire, Oof. got doused with the fire hose. The package somehow still got delivered like three weeks later, soggy and soaking wet. And so my customer shipped them back to me. And so when I opened up the magnetic case that they came in, this is what I found like this, the card just kind of separated into, into pieces. And so, uh, yeah, so you've got thick card stock that's all soggy and waterlogged and the actual picture is in this like thin cellophane film type of thing. So if you ever wanted to see what a project 2020 card looks like disassembled, this is what happens when a card gets in a mail truck fire doused with a fire hose and sits in that uh, soggy wet mess for three weeks. That's one of one. You can say that's for sure. One of <laughs> it's one for sure. An eBay one of one. <laughs> <laughs> so Ray, Ray, so do you mail that back and can tops hook you up? Or how does that work? Uh, no, I mean, you know, with priority mail, you know, is insured to a certain level and that type of thing. It, somehow there are a couple of the of the five that actually are still in in perfect condition that didn't get waterlogged and soaked and i don't know how that happened um i've sold those locally to a couple friends who liked the story and wanted to uh, (laughs) own a card that was part of the mail truck fire story so um yeah it's a never had that happen before but makes for an interesting mail day all right josh brennan what do you have for me um i i talked about being priced out of certain cards and um, I'm a big LeBron fan. So I'm definitely priced out of his top Chrome rookie car. That's several thousand dollars. Um, but I did buy two of these. These are the upper deck MVP version of his uh, rookie card. Um, I've actually had these for a couple months. I bought them for 60 or 70 bucks. They're now over a hundred raw oh, wow. graded graded in uh, tens. You could get at least a couple hundred for them. So. So I'm showing up today. Running? Yep. So this is this is proof in the pudding with what we just talked about. But this is a 2012 uh, select LeBron James. So I'm banking on the prism trend catching fire with its uh, its younger brother that's sitting in the shadows, which is select. And of course, this is on brand for me. I haven't seen a check from select yet, but it's got to be coming. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's in pretty good condition. You always um, you always risk when you buy raw it coming in with like a surface issue, I'll probably go to get that graded, but that's certainly not going to be a short-term flip for me. I try to, you know, flip on the younger guys with more upside and then park them in, in proven veterans like Kawhi, LeBron, and and now Giannis. So I'll probably hold that, get it graded, hold on to it for a while. But um, I've got another select coming in. Uh, The thing about that set is uh, with guys like Kawhi, uh, you don't have a, a base 
rookie card or a base card, but they have an insert called hot rookies. And so I've been looking at those as well. They haven't come in yet, but um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the uh, 2012 select set. Uh, no mail for me. I did not get any cards in the mail, but I am currently in the process of moving. So I saw some of my old cards just kind of sitting in the closet. And Mike, to your point of like, hey, just, you just pick a player and buy a bunch of cards of them. Uh, here's like 20 John Smoltz 1990 Leaf cards. Very exciting <laughs> for the people. There you go. Good times. Go. And here's some uh, Randy Johnson 90 Bowman, about, about 20 of those. I got a bunch of uh, these Jordan cards. Might be worth something. I don't know. <laughs> a few but, bucks uh, each. Yeah. How, is, I don't know. And here's, oh, this is a fun one. Here, last one for the people. Uh, Barry Sanders rookie. And that score, that's kind of a pretty card, right? That's a good one. Yep, that's a good card. All right, so that's all I got for y'all. Uh, Simon, I think you had one more on Layaway. Feel free to show that off. And uh, also, let's get the plugs in. Tell us, uh, you know, where, where we, we can find your work. Uh, they can find you on the Twitter machine, on RG. Fire away. Simon, you're betting first. Um, yeah, just, just kind of going off of, uh, you know, what we've talked about in the past. I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in, uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I like the relationship that, uh, Philip Walker has with the, uh, with the coach. They won a, uh, uh, title with each other in, in college. And, um, I think Philip Walker, uh, came into the NFL, uh, at a time where, uh, his style of play, you know, wasn't, uh, wasn't as popular as it is today. And, uh, Tack on top of that, he was uh, he was on the Colts with Andrew Luck as his starter. I think there's potential if something happens to Bridgewater where he doesn't uh, he doesn't perform uh, what they're expecting or or whatever, and uh, Philip Walker gets a chance at the NFL level. I, I think he could uh, be successful. And the only card that I could find um, rookie card of his is this unparalleled uh, Panini card. And so there's a there's a several different uh, parallels of this card. I think I got the uh, uh, in flight it's called I, I believe. Um, but you know bought that in the twenty dollar range as well. And uh, you know that's just a, a shot in the dark. Who knows uh, you know what would happen with him? But it's a scarce card. And if uh, if he was ever in a situation where uh, he got his opportunity and he he succeeded in it, then I think uh, having a rare card like that could significantly increase in value versus uh not not a whole lot of uh, downside risk diamond plug away you don't want your plugs and uh yeah you can find me in the uh the rg uh discord <laughs> channel uh you know we're always uh starting good conversations showing mail day cards and and whatnot and giving each other good ideas uh rhino and and chief and uh uh cam are all in there talking uh showing off their cards and stuff so it's always a, a fun channel to be in uh also uh if you if you have a twitter account you can find me at at yeti boom films josh um find me on twitter saki 21 i i'm doing instagram now uh that's saki collects all one word and uh my uh weekly article is on rg brennan you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the DFS advisor. And in fact, uh, with all of this data I've started to collect with these market, uh, the market cap articles, I'm going to start taking different tidbits and, and posting them out on Instagram. So that's probably the best place to find me at the DFS advisor. And uh, I also jump in and out of that discord as I have time throughout the day. There's a lot of good discussion in there. So if you go to the Rotor Grinders discord chat, um, a lot of really smart investors and collectors 
um, many of which you're not going to see on any of these videos are in there and, and dropping a lot of knowledge. So um, you can find me in there as well throughout the day. Mike? You can follow me on Twitter at the Mike Summer. You can follow me on TikTok at Waxpack Hero. You can go to waxpackhero.com to see my breakdown of, of Project 2020 in that article. And I'd also love it if you checked out the Waxpack Hero Sports Card Minute podcast. Uh, recently had on Ronnie Barda, professional poker player, survivor contestant, and he's also an active card collector tracking down the 1953 top set. And so that was one of my recent interviews on the podcast, but you can find me at any of those places. I have not really crossed the, uh, the, the TikTok streets. What's it like over there? It is crazy. I, uh, <laughs> I have been gaining followers left and right. People are loving that content. It is uh, a little bit of, you know, social media buzz, but it is super cheap free attention because it's free and the the platform is is blowing up and so i've uh, had a lot of fun creating card content on tiktok i uh experiment a little bit of fun stuff with the family uh recently i saved a turtle out of our local uh lake overflow and that view currently has over 500,000 views on tiktok right now i don't know wow. if that's considered viral or not but tiktok is a lot of fun <laughs> Just keep saving doing find any some more the, turtles. They need, need to be saved. <laughs> Hashtag save the turtles. <laughs> <laughs> doing any of the uh, TikTok dances or uh, not dances, but no. uh, you know some of the other the fun jingles or lip sync type things yeah. I, I get in on every yeah. once in a while, and so do a, <laughs> that was a, a big daily turtle bad joke the, every uh, once in a while with my girls, and yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun there on TikTok. Cool. Uh, we say, much that appreciate was a huge oh. turtle that you found too. By the way, I saw I saw the uh, the video. That was a, that was a. A significant, uh, significant turtle there. You were the five hundred thousandth uh, viewer of that video, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll check it out too. Five hundred thousand and one. I'll make it happen. I'll, I'll find it uh, the Google machine. I imagine I can get there. Uh, thanks, uh, everybody, for watching. Uh, feel free to like and subscribe. We much appreciate the comments in the comment section as well. We want to do our best to interact with you guys. Let us know what you want to see on future shows. That said, for Brennan, for Simon, for Josh, for Mike, I was Dean. This was Sports Card Grinders. Thanks for watching. We're out of here. Holler.